You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul reminds us that we cannot understand the meaning of a word until we hear how that word is used throughout the entire story. I am delighted to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Okay, then we have the rest of the story that is usually viewed positively by both Jews and Christians because they love buildings. You know, what can I do? So God continues by saying in verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done that of which I have spoken to you. It's phenomenal. And slowly on you will see he's going to a life of servitude. It's like Egypt. And then later Mesopotamia, you know. But, very nice, I shall not leave you until... I have done what I have spoken, dibarti lak. And that is very important. Paul will capture this in Romans 3, that God is faithful to his own word. There is our hope. And we have it again in the intro of Psalm 78 that I like to point out. You don't need to tell me about your fathers and your mothers and your grandmothers and that kept and da, 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 da. no, it's not important what they are supposed to have channeled to you is the biblical text as we hear in Psalm seventy eight. But we Orthodox can't accept that. We need the additions of the eight tones and the services. And the others are not better than we are. Because they do the same thing. They are channeling their Dabar. And that's why at one point God decides to put his own words in the mouth of Jeremiah, and then he sends a written text to Ezekiel. All these things are very important, friends. But here you know, I've spoken, and Orthodox will tell you, notice the oral tradition. But the Jews started that because, you know, their leaders, I call them the proto-Christians, you know, wanted to give importance to themselves, the rabbis. How would they give the importance to you? By saying that parallel to the scriptural text, God left with Moses an oral tradition that he communicated only to the elders and with time it was communicated to us, the Pharisees. Does this sound familiar? I don't know about the other Christians, but it sounds familiar to an, to an Orthodox. That's how we talk. But this is not how scripture is all about. 
Jacob awoke, and he did what everybody considers to be the great thing. But again, let's listen to it, and you will realize that he's making fun of Jacob. He didn't get it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other than the house of God. This is none other than the house of God, in other words, where he resides, and thus the gate of heaven. He's using a terminology that was common in Mesopotamia, and if you know the texts, if you can remember main passages, you will see that this is the big joke about Genesis 11. Building a tower whose head reaches the heaven. I know scholars speak about Zikurah and so on and so on, but you don't need that. Because going to Mesopotamia and looking at the Zikurah, it's not going to help you to understand the biblical text. Because the biblical text is a story. And this is what irritates most of so-called scholars of the Bible. Yeah, but we have to know. No. Mitchell Dahoud got it right. You have to know Ugaritic literature. Not Ugaritic archaeology. So Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone which he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar. Let's hear it in the Hebrew. Maseba or Matseba. I mean, come on now. But if you say a pillar, we say, oh yeah, it's a pillar. But if you hear it in the original, slowly on, you're going to meet it in the singular and in the plural. Masebot, which is very negative. When the people start building this in Jerusalem, but as usual, with a little bit of liturgical practice, you pour oil on the top of it. Hmm? This is what we Orthodox priests do. We do whatever we want, and at the end we pour oil on something. And it's okay now. No, because it's from the root. Uh, those who know Arabic get it immediately. It's something that is erected standing upright powerfully. Those who know Arabic know the verb intasaba, like instead of karma, if you're sitting and then you say akum, you stand up. Intasaba, it means you stood erect like a soldier before his superior. You have to be straight and powerful. Even if you don't perceive its negative connotation, but as I keep saying, you begin to fathom scripture only beginning with your second reading of it. It's impossible to do it to the first reading. Of a certain given passage, like you have a passage in Genesis, 
and Cain built a city and he named it after the name of his son. I mean, if you are an Anglo-Saxon and a Brit, it's powerful. It's very positive. No, it's not. And that's what you have here. Pillars are not good. Actually, later in the there is an anti-Solomonic play uh, that the two main pillars in the Temple of Solomon, one of them is called Nehushtan, which is from the same root as Nahash, the omen, the bad omen, and also the serpent of the regret. But if you keep remembering that it's a serpent that spoke with Eve, you're never going to make this connection. We have it in Arabic, Nahs. It's a bad sign. It's an omen. So that is already building, especially with stone, is not good. And the text continues his play on your ears by calling it Bethel. Now, all over America, people like to have at least one town in their state called Bethel, the house of God, and they explain it to you from the Hebrew. But slowly on, when you get further, this Bethel is going to be an omen, a bad sign. Just begin by reading Amos or two kings. It's the city the major center in the north, although we met it before with Abraham, but you see how the author is building up that this is very bad. It's because of Bethel that God destroyed Israel. You know, the northern kingdom, at least in the biblical story, it had a political capital, which was Samaria, and religious capital, Bethel. In the south, in Judah, the same city, Jerusalem, functioned as both. And yet, he hasn't finished. Let's read the rest. But the name of the city was originally meaning Laz. Now, Laz, Laws in Arabic, the almond that you eat in all the good food, it's like the palm tree, almond tree, at the first. And thus, he's erecting a building in an area of natural vegetation, which is the fruit that God gives you. And the almond, you don't have to go to those times to figure out it's a very important nut. I mean, today, all the cardiologists keep telling you to make sure to eat almonds. They are very good. There you go. But he gave a new name to it, which is the work of his hands. Notice the parallelism with Cain building a city and calling it Henoch, whose name means rejuvenation. And suddenly, it's a city of stone. That's not good. So when Jacob comes back, 
ultimately his grandchildren are going to settle around Bethel and you know the rest of the story. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, I love this conditional in the original and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. Notice the conditional. But the story is not going to unfold in this way. But still Jacob wants to continue his plan. So he's using the goodness of God of bringing him back in order for him to erect that building. And this is what his descendants, which is Jacob, Israel, upon landing, what they did, they start buildings that are similar to the buildings that had left in Egypt. Storage houses. Big cities. More specifically, Jerusalem. And this stone, which I... So, you have to read the whole statement of Jacob together. I've set for a pillar, shall be God's house. In other words, it's his Maseba, which is going to be the basis of the Bet-El. And the last verse is interesting because it unfolds Bet-El. It becomes Bet Elohim, which is lost in the translation. House of God, house of God. And then he as David later, and this is my comment, builds a house for the God who promised to build him, David, a house. And here, when we get to that text, or you've heard it so many times, it's a play in the original on the same word that means both house and household. But if you read this text as standing on its own and you start theologizing with the pulpit, you're going to fall in the trap by imagining that you are doing the right thing by throwing in this bribe at the end and of all that thou givest me, I will give the tenth to thee. People tell me, but this was what God asked and so on. Yeah, yeah. But when you hear it within the law, it has a different connotation. Here it sounds as from the collection you get from the people. It's like the priest who has to give parts of the offering to God and then he keeps the rest for himself. It's a big joke. Unless we tune ourselves to hear the Bible 
as an irony by God addressed to us will never get the point. It's impossible. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.